You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. If you're new here and you're visiting, one of the things that you'll, you'll discover is that when you co- go to our webpage, uh, not only will, do we have our sermon podcast available, but everything I preach is manuscripted. That doesn't mean everything that's in the manuscript I say. But if you're looking for cross-references and you're looking for verses and stuff that I, that I cite from, you know, in my sermon, uh, don't, don't worry about not catching everything. It's all in the manuscript. And uh, usually the manuscript has more in it than, than what I say on Sunday morning. So I wanted to share that with you. We are in Ephesians, as many of you know, working our way through, through this amazing epistle. We have just finished, as of last week, we finished the first 14 verses. And now we're, uh, we're getting into verse 15 and following. And so uh, just to prepare our hearts, I want us to pray uh, and my encouragement to you is that as we pray, to pray for the, not only pray for your own heart, not only pray that God will just speak into your life uh, individually, but that he will also do the same for the person sitting to your left and to your right, or maybe even to the person in front of you. But just let's go before the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to do the kind of things that only he is able to do. So let's, let's pray. God, you are, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are capable of doing more than, than we can ever think or imagine. And so, God, I ask, we ask collectively that you, will, that, that you will just give us ears to hear today, that you will soften our hearts, you would give us spiritual eyes to see, that we would see the, just the, the, the amazing promises that are contained in 
in these verses that we're going to look at this morning. We ask that you would do more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that's working within us. God, for those in this room who are just overwhelmed with grief or those in this room who are just agitated or those in this room who are just, you know, just had a rough week this week or, or even those in this room who've had an awesome week, an amazing week, God, that you will just speak into and through all of that now that you would just quiet the noise that this, the clouds are thinking, the clouds, uh, the receptivity of our, of, of our hearts being able to receive your word and that you will do the thing that you are capable of doing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I got to say, I, I really enjoyed just plumbing the depths of, of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. For me, it's been, it was just really good for my heart. Uh, just to be reminded of who we are in Jesus. Like our identity is outlined in, if you're a Christian, our identity is outlined in those first 14 verses. And so, you know, it's, it's an amazing sentence. It's like over 200 words of just, uh, of, of, of truths about, about what it means to be a Christian, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world and, and to be holy and blameless, that you were, that, you, that, that in love, you know, God predestined you through his son, that he redeemed you through his son, and that he sealed you with his Holy Spirit. Like, those are amazing truths. And, and so, theologians and scholars will, will you know, recognize that these first 14 verses, which is one complete sentence, one run-on sentence, one stream of thought, like, that, there, that this sentence is majestic and, it's, and there's nothing really that, that can top it outside of the scriptures. And so how do you follow that? How do you follow on the heels of, of those 14 verses? Well, you do it with uh, verses 15 through 23 is how you do it. I mean, think about it. You, you, Christian, have all the spiritual blessings, according to verse 3 of chapter 1, you have all the spiritual blessings that you could ever need. That we're, we're told, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And by the way, if you have a Bible, I want you to see this. So grab a Bible, use your digital device, open up to Ephesians chapter 1. You've got to see these things. For yourself, don't, just don't trust me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I'm I'm just a dude. Like I'm a pastor, but I am no better than you. And so, so look at this in the scripture. Use your digital device. Use one of the Bibles that's in under the seat there. If you don't have a Bible, take one of those home with you. But but I want you to see this in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We spent four weeks. Just examining what, is, what are these spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus? What are they? Like you have been chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. That you have been predestined to be adopted as a son or a daughter of, of the living God through the redemption of Jesus Christ. A redemption that only he could accomplish. That you have been completely pardoned of past, present, and future sins only, only because of the grace of God that has been lavished upon you as a result of the Father's wrath that was lavished upon his Son in your place. Like, those are the spiritual blessings that are, that are ours in Christ Jesus. That we have an inheritance that will not fade with time, cannot be destroyed, and will never be stained or touched by sin. That we've been sealed 
by God's Holy Spirit. We looked at that last week. We've been sealed by God's Holy Spirit as a guarantee of salvation that will be accomplished and that we will experience the full experience of what it means to be redeemed one day. I said last week that you, you, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and I made a big deal about the, the, about the fact that you cannot, you cannot manipulate the Holy Spirit through, you know, cheap tricks and recipes couched with religious language. He is God. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and then you are loved by the God of Isaiah 46, verses 9 through, through 10, we, we, we actually did a responsive reading at the end of our service last week and, and reflected upon that. I'd encourage you just to, to meditate on that passage this week, Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11, that our God is God and there is no other like him. He, 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 he determines the end from the beginning and he will accomplish all his good pleasure. You are, if you're a Christian, you are saved. But why? Not for the sake of being saved. <laughs> Christian, you are saved not for, only for the forgiveness of your sins. You are saved not only for a, a pain-free eternity in heaven. You are saved not for loved ones who preceded you in death that you'll be able to see them. No, there's no other reason why you're saved but this reason, that you would know Christ. And by knowing Christ, you will have God. You will know God. Like I, that's, that's the point here. Like so, and I, I, so verse 15, right? This is why, we, this is why at Meadowbrook we believe expository preaching, working through verses of the Bible and books of the Bible is important. Hey, in verse 15, for this reason. What reason, Paul? The, the, well, the preceding 14 verses for those reasons. For that reason. I have not, you know, stopped praying for you. I have not stopped just praising God for you. That, that's verse 15. In light of everything that God has done, I have been thankful for you, Paul says. I have been praying for you. Where is Paul right now? Like, where, where's he thanking God at? Like, where, where is he praying for these Christians at? Like, where's he at? He's in prison. He's in prison right now. Which is interesting because he's, he says, verse 15, uh, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists amongst you and, and your love for all the saints. I've heard about it. Here's, here's some, just one of the things we gleaned right away from, the, from verse 15. That the evidence that these Christians experienced versus 3 through 14 in chapter 1 is seen in the way they live their lives. The way they, the, the way they follow Jesus and the way they treat one another. That's verse 15. That's not Pastor Keith Miller. That's verse 15. So uh, I just have a few points here. And the first is this. Why, why, why does Paul pray for the Christians? Why does he pray for these Christians? these Christians in Ephesus. And, and I don't want you just to see like, or, or to read this as exclusively being directed at the Christians in Ephesus. This is for us. Like these words are for you, these words are for me. The, the, the truths uh, of, these, of these words are for you, they're for me. Now, there are a lot of different ways I could have gone about this, about these verses uh, today, this morning. 
Like you could read verses 15 through 23, and you can use this as a model for how to pray. This is, this is a, a, a good way of just, like, this is Paul's model for how we can pray. We can, we can thank God for what he's doing in, people's, in, in other people's lives. We, we can thank him for the work that he's doing in, in the world. We, we can thank, for the, thank him for the work that he's doing in our, in our own lives. Like, like, we can thank him, and we can pray for, for certain things for, for people. We can pray you know, that the eyes of their heart will be enlightened so that they'll know what is the hope of, 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 of God's calling and what are the riches of his glory, uh, of his inheritance, and, and what is this power that, 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 that Paul, you know, that, that he says is available to us. Like, we could pray for those things, but I don't want to do that this morning. I don't want to look at this as a, I don't want to unpack this as this is how you can pray. I want, what I want to do this morning is I just want to flesh out what is it, like in this prayer, we learn what, is it, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a Christian in this room, uh, my hope is that as we work through these verses, you'll discover this amazing grace that is available to you and, and to me. So why does Paul pray for these Christians? Well, he, he tells us. <laughs> he tells us that in light of the 200 plus words that I just just shared with you about what it means to be a Christian, you are evidencing that that is true of you, Christians. And I'm hearing about it all the way from prison, that, that, that these things are true of you. And, and how do I know these things are true of you? Because, because of the faith. Look at this, verse 15. Because of the, I, I've heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus. Not just mental assent of Jesus. Like it's, he's not just talking about, uh, well, you believe certain facts about Jesus and therefore I'm thankful. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, I have not, I, I've not ceased from hearing about this work that is happening in and through you, and I'm not surprised by it because, of all, because, because God chose you before the foundation of the world, because, because he, he, you know, he redeemed you through his son, and because he, 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 he loves you, and because he sealed you with his Holy Spirit, the evidence of that is that you, your faith rests in Jesus Christ. Like, you, your faith rests in him. It doesn't rest in anything else. It doesn't rest in, in how many times you read your Bible. It doesn't rest in how many times you prayed this week. It doesn't rest in how many times you showed up to church. Your faith, your faith is saving, is saving faith simply because it is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Period. Like, like let that settle on your heart. Like, your faith in Jesus Christ is not just what you believe up here, but what you really feel here. Like, none of you, when you came into this room, examined the chair that you're sitting in. You just sat right in the chair. You didn't make sure it was going to hold you up. You didn't, you know, unless you've got some baggage. Maybe you went to a church one day and you, fell, you sat in a chair and it fell or collapsed. And now for every church you visit, you're examining chairs. Like that happened with a church plant, that, the church that I planted. Um, we had these really horrible chairs. They weren't ours. We were just, it, it belonged to the facility that we used. And, and there was a guy who sat in one of those chairs, and I knew it was going to happen. Like, you know, right? Like, like these chairs, like, they're like Walmart chairs. They're just like, or <laughs> they're the kind of chairs that you sit in on Frontier Airlines, like that thin, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, 
And it sounds like soon to be in so on Southwest Airlines, too. Like, those kind of chairs. And he sat in the chair, and it was horrific. Like, as soon as he sat in the chair, like, the, 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 the legs just went boom. And he hit the ground. And I never saw him again, like, after that Sunday. Like, so, but, but none of you, I didn't see anybody examine these chairs. These are good chairs. Uh, the, the faith that these Christians had rested in Jesus Christ, but it wasn't just in any religious leader that their faith rested in. They were confident. They were confident. Listen, they were confident that Jesus Christ was enough. That, that all their righteousness that they ever needed is found in Jesus and him alone. And, and so their faith rested in him. And, and the evidence that their faith, listen, I, I, this, this kind of gets like under the skin a little bit. The evidence that their faith rested in Jesus Christ was seen in the way they treated one another. See, your vertical relationship, the, uh, like your vertical relationship, if it's healthy, will be seen in, 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 in the way that you treat one another. This is why the Bible, especially in the New Testament, spends a lot of time, I mean, talks a lot, a lot about, uh, about loving one another. Like, read 1 John sometime. You want to lose a little sleep? Read 1 John before, before you go to bed. <laughs> uh, like, if you don't love your brother, if you don't love your sister in Christ, then, then, then there's something wrong with your relationship with God. But here, in verse 15, Paul says, he, he's, he's recognizing the fact that their faith rests in Jesus Christ, and because it rests in Jesus Christ, it, he uses the word exists, that the faith that rests, that, the, that rests in Jesus Christ exists amongst these Christians, and it's seen by the way they love one another. Now, he'll talk more about that later on in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5, but he's just highlighting this, like why he's praying and why he's thankful. Uh, so, <laughs> I got to move on. Um, what did Paul hear about these Christians? That their faith in Jesus and their love for one another uh, was genuine. It was genuine. In verse 17, he says that, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and, and of revelation and uh, in the knowledge of him. Meaning, he's like, he's like so, so I'm praying for you, and this is what I'm praying for. I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is where I get the, my sermon title. Like, he, he's saying here that the reason why verses 3 through 14 has happened to you, Christian, is for the purpose of verse 17. Hey, that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And that knowledge is, it's, a, it's an encounter. It's the word, and some of you already know, you've heard me use this word, it's the, it's the Greek word gnosko. It's an experiential knowledge. It's, you know, I've used this illustration. It's the best illustration I can think of. It's, it's in, in the Greek Septuagint, the Old Testament. It's the word that's used of Abraham knowing Sarah or Jacob knowing his wife or Isaac knowing his wife. It's just, it, it's, they had, it was more than just knowing some facts about their spouse. They had an encounter with their spouse. Um, and it was ongoing and it was covenantal and it was, and it was rich and it was it, it, all those things. And so, 
So Paul's saying here that I'm praying for you, and what I'm praying for is that the, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, I just, just one of the things I just want to point out here real quick, in verse 17, like who's the spirit that he's talking about there? Is he talking about our spirit or is he talking about the Holy Spirit? I think he's referring to both. I say that because of verse 13 and 14. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like I, I said this last week, the Holy Spirit, he, he, he is responsible for giving you new life. He's responsible for Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses transgressions or your wrongdoings and verse 4 but God made you alive in Christ Jesus our Lord because of his mercy and because of his love and and who's the one that was responsible for for making it possible for you from you going from being dead spiritually to being alive this the Holy Spirit he did it he made it possible and verse 17 Paul said and and the evidence that that your faith is in Jesus Christ is an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a pursuit to know him as you are known by him. Like, like notice what Paul doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for more power. He doesn't pray for more success. He doesn't pray for, more, for, for easy living for these Christians because it wasn't easy for them to live out their faith in Ephesus where you had the Temple of Artemis and all kinds of crazy things happening around them. It wasn't easy for them to... to follow Jesus. He doesn't pray that it will get easier for them. What he prays for is that, they're under, that, the, that they will grow in wisdom and, and their understanding. It's revelation. It's a, it, that God's word will so infuse their lives that they will grow in their knowledge of him. That as, this is one of the purposes and reasons why you know, reading your Bible is so important. Is like you know, As you read your Bible, what happens? You'll learn something about God, right? And then, then what do you do? You apply it to your life. You know what that's called? Wisdom. I've known a lot of stupid, intelligent people. <laughs> right? Like, go to seminary sometime. Like, like, or Bible college. Like, there are a lot of people. Their heads are, like, fat for Jesus. But they're, but they're the biggest, some of them are the biggest fools that I've met. Like, I, I, I've encountered people as a pastor who had, who, who, could, who had all kinds of verses memorized, could tell you chapter and verse uh, where to go in the Bible, but there were fools in the way that they applied those, those, those scriptures to their, to their life. This is why Jesus said at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, I tell you the truth, many people will say, Lord, Lord, we did this and this and this and this in your name, and I will say to them, I never knew you. What's the difference between the person that Jesus knows and the person that, 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 that uses religious language, maybe memorized some verses, maybe taught Sunday school, maybe preached a sermon or a bunch of sermons, maybe, maybe led worship, like, but, but, but Jesus didn't really ever knew that, know that person. What is the difference between those two people? It's knowing. The difference between the two people is one is just head knowledge. The other person is not just head knowledge. It's gnosko. It's an encounter that's ongoing. It's a relationship. And so Paul doesn't pray for all these different things. He just prays that, that, they, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Um, and so, so it's the kind of knowledge Paul referred to like in Philippians chapter 3. I'll have the words on the screen here. 
Uh, let's read this together. Ready? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that word know is gnosko. That's, that's, that's experiential knowledge. I want to know him in that way. Paul is thanking God that these uh, Christians in Ephesus know him, know, know God in that way that they know Jesus in that way. But they haven't arrived either. And neither have you, neither have I. Like, we have not arrived. It's an ongoing relationship. It's an ongoing journey of pursuing him and getting to know him, to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, to be conformed to his death, and somehow that we may attain the resurrection from the dead. I mean, literally, literally what Paul says there is um, that I will know him in such a way that in, the, in a world full of spiritually dead people, I will be one standing up amongst the dead because I've been made alive in Jesus Christ. I want to know him in that way. That's how I want to know him, which leads me to the second point. What does Paul pray for these Christians? Like, what does he pray? That's verses eight, 18 and 19. Um, like in verses 15 through 17, Paul lists four character traits of those who have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I, I want you to see these. They'll be on the screen. That is, in, in just in verse 15 through 17, there are four character traits that is true of every genuine Christian. Okay? I, it, it, like, this is characteristic of your life if you've experienced, if verses 3 through 14 is true of you. And that is this, a faith that is in Jesus. Secondly, a loyalty that is to the a loyalty to the lordship of Jesus. Notice, going back to verse fifteen. Notice that Paul doesn't just say faith in Jesus here. He says in the Lord Jesus. Like the demons know that Jesus is the Messiah. The demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons know all those things. They even have to obey him. But the difference between the genuine Christian and the one who's paying lip service to, about Jesus or about their faith is their loyalty to the lordship of Jesus. He's Lord. You know, I, I, I'm sure I've used the illustration with you. Like, he's not your co-pilot. He, he has no interest in being your co-pilot. He doesn't want to be in the passenger seat. In fact, you're in the trunk and he's driving. That's lordship. That's lordship. And so, a loyalty to the lordship of Jesus. A love for those who belong to Jesus. And a pursuit to know Jesus. That you want to know him. Like you want to know him in the kind of Philippians chapter 3 way. It doesn't mean that you've arrived. And it doesn't mean that you stop sinning. It just means that you want to know him. That now there, I, I've shared this with, like somebody came up to me a while back and, and uh, who was a struggling alcoholic and just really just fought alcoholism for, for a good chunk of his life. He came up to me and he, and, um, and he had recently had given, he gave his life to Jesus and I had the opportunity to baptize him. This was years ago. And, and he, uh, he came up to me and he said, you know, I, I, he call, actually he called me. He called me. He said, Pastor Keith, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. He said, um, my girlfriend wants to, she, she wants to continue sleeping, like wants us to continue sleeping together. 
but I really don't want to do that anymore. It's not because I don't love her. I love her. I just don't want to do that anymore because I, I know it displeases the Lord. You, can you tell me what's going on? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, it's called you're born again. Um, and two, your appetites are changing. That's what happens when you go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Your appetites begin to change. Does it mean you stop sinning? No. It just means that you become increasingly um, agitated by your sin. Like if, every, if, if, if each and every one of us were honest in this room, you could think of something right now that you did this week that agitated you because you knew it displeased the Lord because of your faith in Him. And so, what does Paul pray for for these, for these Christians? <laughs> I love this. Um, I love this so much that next week we're going to unpack this more. <laughs> so I, I just I, I, I want to honor my, our time together. Uh, but look at this. Like, he said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and, and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, I pray, in light of that, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, now what is he talking about there? Is he being literal? Like, I'm praying that God will just put eye, eyeballs on your, on your heart. <laughs> no, he is a metaphor. He's like, like I, I, I'm praying that you will that this gnosko kind of knowing of God will, that, the, that you'll press into these truths about, that are true for you because of your faith in Jesus. Here's what Paul could have done. Paul could have used two different types of words in place of, of heart. The, 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 the Greek word for heart here is exactly the way it sounds. Cardia, right? We get cardiologists from it. It's cardia. Um, he uses that word, but he could have used other words in place of that, he could, have, he could have used the word that he used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, which is this, have this mind, that's the Greek word there, pronio, pronio uh, in yourselves, have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ. He could have, said, he could have used that word. He could have used the word uh, that Luke used in his gospel account when Jesus, uh, if you remember the story, well, after Jesus died on the cross and was buried and on the third day rose from the grave, there were two individuals who were walking on the Emmaus Road and they were confused and, and blown away by what they were hearing and they weren't sure what to make of it. And so Jesus walked up uh, to them and opened, just opened the scriptures up to them. And the word that he, he uses a different word here. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Paul could have used that word. He could have used that word. He could have used, oh, was it nous or nous? He could have used that word for, for, you know, in these verses here. But he doesn't. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Think about that for a moment. I pray that the seat of your emotions will have eyes to see all that God has done for you. And it doesn't stop there that you press into that and you lean into that. Like everything that he said in these first 14 verses, he, in, in verse 18, he is praying. Like, for example, he's praying in verse, that verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Like, that we will lean into that, that we will hold on to that, we will cling on to that truth, not just with our brains, but with our whole being. Verse 4, that he chose us in him, that we will lean into that, that we will press into that, that we will cling to that reality, that God, before, the, before he invented dirt, 
chose you, Christian, to, to, to know him. Like he took your dead spiritual carcass and made it alive. Paul is praying in verse 18 that you will, that the eyes of your heart will be able to see the reality of that and cling to it. And then you'll hold on to it and you won't let it go. Like, I belong to the God of all creation. It doesn't matter what anybody says, I belong to him. And so do you if you're a Christian. And it's not because of anything that you've done. It's because of everything that Jesus has done. That's why, like, for like 11 times, 11 or 12 times, we see the phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in those first 14 verses. What are the eyes on a heart good for? They're good for seeing what God has done for you so that you can see the heavenly blessings that are yours and that you can just apply them to your life. Like, you can hold on to those. One day, each and every one of us is going to die. Or you're going to experience the death of a loved one. And there's going to be a part of you that's going to want to doubt the goodness of God. And in those moments, you're going to have to cling to these kinds of promises. That this God who chose you, this God who sent his son to to undergo his wrath so that you can be loved and forgiven by God, like this God is for you and not against you. That he is good. And this stuff that you're going through, whether it's your marriage is dissolving because your spouse just doesn't want to be in the relationship with you anymore, or, or you have a wayward child, or somebody close to you has died, or somebody has said something really hurtful to you, or you've been wounded in a previous church, or maybe even in, in this church, you cling to these promises. You cling to these promises. That's what Paul's praying for here. He's praying for these things. That you are saved by the will of God. I said this at the beginning of the sermon series. Like that you, would, that you would see the reality of these truths, that you are saved by the will of God, that you have the grace and peace of God, that you have the blessing of God, that you are redeemed to be holy and blameless before God that you are a son, that you are a daughter of God, that you are favored by God, that you are forgiven by God, that you are rich in the grace of God, that you know God because he has made himself known to you, that you have a future with God, that you are secure because of God, that you are treasured by God. Like Those are the heavenly blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. And Paul's praying that the eyes of your heart would see that. Then they would, see, they would see that and that you would grow in your understanding of those things. It's, again, in, verse, in, in, in this verse, um, he, he uses the same word. That you will, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will gnosko what the hope of his will and calling is. Epigonosko is the Greek word. But it's like, like that you'll know these things. That you'll encounter the truths of what it means to be born again in a very tangible way. In the same way Abraham encountered Sarah. He goes on. He says, so, so why, Paul? Why, why, why pray for the eyes of my heart to be enlightened? Why, why, why is this important for me to see these things? Well, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe? Those three things. That's why he's praying for, for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, so that, we'll, so that we'll know those three things, the hope of our calling, 
What is the riches of, his, uh, of the glory of his inheritance? And what is the boundless greatness of his power? Like the three what's <laughs> of Paul's prayer. And I'll, uh, next week, we're going we're gonna, to like, plunge the depths of, of what each of these are, but I just want to highlight them for you. Uh, that, you know, the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? So he's praying, like, hey, the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will know, Gnosko, the hope of his calling. Well, what is that? Like, the fact that you were not looking for God, but he came and found you in your spiritual deadness, and he made you alive. That you'll know the hope of his calling. See, if he did that, friends, if he did that with you, then, then the work that he is doing in you, he is faithful to complete it. He's not going to give up. Like, think about it. Like, you weren't looking for him. He came chasing after you. And, and the Bible tells us, like, even though we are faithless, he is faithful. And he's going to finish this work that he's doing in us. And the guarantee of that is verses 13 and 14. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit. The same way that Jesus, so you remember in the gospel accounts, we're getting pretty close to Resurrection Sunday, right? So um, you, you, you know, we're, we're familiar with the story. When Lazarus died, he was four days in the tomb. He was four days in the grave. And Jesus, Jesus went and visited. We're told that before he raised Lazarus from the grave, he wept. And then he raised Lazarus from the grave. Well, how did he raise Lazarus from the grave? He called him. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Paul's saying here, that we've experienced the same thing spiritually. We were dead. And God said, Keith, come forth, or you fill in the blank with your name. Like he did that. That is the hope of your calling. If you are a Christian, you are only a Christian because God called you by breaking into the tomb of your unbelief to give you life. God called you out of his great mercy to make you alive in Christ for a purpose, for a reason. Like, you want to know what that reason is? I, I'll give you like a little teaser for next week. That reason is chapter 2, verse 10, which says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Secondly, like the riches of his inheritance. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> I, I wish I had time for this, but I, I'm just going to have to just tell you what it, what it means, and we'll go into it next week. But like, what, like what, is he, what is he saying here? The, the riches of his inheritance. Do you know who the inheritance is here? You are. We are the inheritance of God. Let, like, that's mind-blown. Like, I, I was looking at him like, man, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, he is our inheritance. We receive him, but, but we are his inheritance. How do I know that? Verse 14, um, who, like the Holy Spirit is, is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession. We are his possession. Here in verse 18, in verses 19, uh, Paul is praying that, that we'll be able to just lean into the reality that we are God's inheritance he has inherited us because he chose us and he made us alive. And he has purpose for us and he's doing something in us. Like we are his possession. 
And, and the language that's being drawn from is from Exodus chapter, I think, chapter 19. We are his treasured possession. He treasures you, Christian. He treasures you. Like, some of you need to hear this. If you are a Christian, verses 3 through 14 is true of you. And what that means is that not only is God going to complete the work that he started in you, remember, I, I say this often, like he loves you too much to leave you as you are, but he is not, listen, he is not disgusted by you. He's not disgusted by you. Like God doesn't look at anybody and say, well, that person's just beyond repair. I'm just going to skip over that person. <laughs> I'm going to go to somebody a little easier. <laughs> Uh, like, that's not the way God works. We're talking about the God who spoke things into existence that never existed before. And one of the things that he speaks into existence, one life at a time, is, is spiritual life when it didn't exist. We are his inheritance. Come back next week. We'll, we'll plumb the depths of that. That is, this, that is rich. And third, uh, the knowledge of the boundless greatness of his power like, we'll have to plumb the depths of that next week too, but like the power is what we, you know, the power is what we already have as those who've been called by God. He's praying for that. He's like, he, he's not, like, just like with the Holy Spirit, you, you cannot get any more of the Holy Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit that you can ever need. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Well, the same is true like, when it comes to the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave, Paul says, resides in you and it resides in me. That you have all of the resurrection power in you that you will ever need. Now that's not some reason to do the, for the whole name it and claim it baloney. Like that's, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the change that can only happen by the power of God in your life is there already. And he's doing that work in your life. Can anybody avoid death? No, right? Except Jesus rose from the grave. But can, can, can anybody avoid death? Like, the, you know, the mortality rate in Cheyenne is 100%. All of us are going to die. In case, in case that, if that messed up your day today, I'm not sorry. <laughs> like, uh, if we're all going to die. I've done, I've done dozens and dozens of funerals. And, and for good reason, like you have a mortician, who do, and if you have a good mortician, they really do a good job at making the person look alive, but the reality is, is that person is dead. I've seen some people look better with, the, with all the makeup on in the casket than they did alive. Like, like some of you are like, I can't believe you said that. Um, <laughs> I can't either. So it's like one of the things you probably shouldn't say. It's the same thing you say when you go to visit a newborn baby. Like, some babies are just ugly. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I, I'm speaking from experience for my own children. Uh, Seth was... <laughs> no, come on. Like, Nathan's going to shoot me. Nathan, Nathan's handsome now, but when he was born, he looked like an alien. Like, it just... But I would never say that at the, like, uh, one, I would never say that to my wife. He looks ugly. I'm sorry, hon. Like, I, I wouldn't say that. Um, I would never say that to anybody else. 
But just like when somebody's in a casket, I, I, I wouldn't say it like that. Yeah, that person looks better than they did when they were alive. The reality is that they're, they're dead. They're dead. And the only, God, the only one who's capable of taking something that is, that is dead and a mess and broken is God. And Paul is praying, I just want you to experience that. I want you to experience the reality of that. Like the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. Here, here's, here's the application part. Here, here's just, just, and it's really brief. Um, and the worship team can come up, by the way. Here, here's, here's the reality. If this is who we are in Jesus, right? Like we're told what is mortal will be swallowed up with life. Like we're going to experience that. Like our bodies that are, are wasting away, I, like God is going to reverse that. The inheritance that is ours in Jesus, I, like when we experience that in its, in its fullness, it will never fade, it can never be destroyed, and it will never ever be touched by sin. Like, all of that is ours in Jesus. Now think about this for a moment. I was talking to a brother yesterday at the gym about just some hard things, who was, who was really wounded in, in his church, and, and, just, and has not been able to go back, and, for, and, and, and the wounds are deep, and, I, and, and it broke my heart listening to, to it. Here's the reality of everything that we like everything that we looked at here. That our identity is in Jesus Christ. And that our inheritance is forever. That we have a God who is faithful to complete the work in us, even when we're faithless. And there is coming a time where each and every one of us will most likely die unless Jesus comes before a, we experience a physical death. Every one of us in this room who's placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ will experience a resurrection. Every one of us in this room will inherit a new heaven, new earth. Every one of us in this room will one day experience what it means to have God wipe away the, the tears that stain our eyes. Every one of us in this room will experience uh, uh, a life free from the curse of sin one day. And with 10 billion years behind us, as the redeemed, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, 10, you know, 100 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years, a billion years, 10 billion years behind us, the, 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 these truths, these things that the Bible promises is ours in Christ will never change. Like we will continue to experience a joy that will always increase and will never crest. And so when it comes to our life today, in light of what is ours for tomorrow, what are you wigging out over? Like cancer? The reality that you're going to die one day? The person that cut you off on the road? Like, what are you wigging out over when all of this is ours in Jesus? God loves you, Christian. He loves you. And he's doing something amazing in your life. And that's why I've been closing every, every time uh, that we've been gathering together since Ephesians. I've been closing with these words. To him, hey, hey if you can stand... 
Let me just read these for you, and then we'll go into this final song. To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song together. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.